Blog Talk Radio. Don't hold nothing back. This is it. Fight! Let's go! Championship football. Championship football. Try to show these boys how we really get down, man. 16 weeks. Let's go! Thousands of hits, catches, tackles, kicks, passes, and blocks. A lifetime's worth of blood and sweat. All poured into a 60-minute, bone-crushing, adrenaline-fueled battle of bodies. Welcome to Go for the Two. Go for the Two. With Yahoo Sports Radio college football analyst Joe Lisi. And former Georgia Bulldogs wide receiver Corey Allen. Corey Allen. Right. Let's rock and roll. Yeah. Huddle up. Here's Joe and Corey. It is great to be back on the air. We're about five and a half months away from the start of the 2016 college football season. If you're like me, I'm chomping at the bit. Can't wait for a great week number one of the 2016 season. I mean, there are some like seven or eight marquee games on tap. A couple of those, week number one, Auburn and Clemson, Florida State and Ole Miss, Wisconsin and LSU does not get better than this. I'm going to break some of those games down in detail today, give you my thoughts about what I'm looking at as we get closer to the season. A lot of analysts and experts like to concentrate on spring ball, look at position battles that are taking place in March. To me, it's meaningless. Unless there's a a key injury to a quarterback or a starter that goes down in spring ball that has an effect come August or September, then I take note. But anything that I – in terms of spring performances, you could throw that out of the window in in terms of how I look at it or how much weight I put into spring performances on the football field. I mean, you're not going to get a read of what these teams look like because, number one, coaches aren't opening up the playbook. Two, they're not going to show anything that is going to lead anybody to get a read on them prior to week number one. And anyway, no matter how good these kids perform in March or April, they do have a four- or five-month layoff from the time that they're going to be getting back into fall camp to, to battle it out for the first week of the season. So that's why I don't put a lot of weight into, into spring ball. Like I said, unless there's a key injury to a starting quarterback or a key uh, – player on the offense or defense, then I take note. Outside of that, I just watch the games, don't put a lot of weight into it, and and just really concentrate on the strengths and weaknesses of the previous year, especially for week number one. Want to see if those strengths and weaknesses carry through through the first week of the season. And we could could start with this Clemson-Auburn matchup. It's a very intriguing matchup. Clemson has won the last two meetings over the Tigers. They've won by a, an average score of 64 to 43, or 10 and a half points per game. So that's a key statistic. Clemson's owned the, the series in the last two meetings. And you look at Clemson overall in 2015, this was a dynamic offense and a, a solid, solid defense. And we'll get into the statistics of both teams right now. When we look at Clemson overall from an offensive perspective in 2015, dynamic. They're going to return possibly the Heisman Trophy front runner and quarterback Deshaun Watson. He is a true junior. He played for a full season last year, and you saw what he was able to do in leading his team to the national championship game against the Alabama Crimson Tide, and he really had Alabama's defense on the ropes for most of the first half. They couldn't figure him out, and if it wasn't for a couple of key mistakes by Clemson overall, 
Clemson might have walked away with the national championship last year, but credit Alabama, great job, but a great quarterback in Deshaun Watson and what he's able to do in terms of putting pressure on the perimeter of defenses, defenses that have speed. That's going to be a characteristic of this Clemson Tiger offense that you're going to have to keep a note on, especially week number one going up against a suspect defense in Auburn. But let's look at Clemson overall in 2015. I mentioned Sean Watson. This offense overall averaged 38 points per game, but they were a very balanced offense. They had uh, a dynamic rushing attack with Deshaun Watson and Wayne Gallman, who led the team in rushing, that averaged 224 rushing yards per game, and they were balanced. They passed for 291 yards through the air last year. You look at Watson's performance, completed 67% of his passes last year, 4,104 yards, 37 touchdowns, and 13 interceptions. But like I mentioned, he's a dual-threat quarterback. He rushed for 1,105 yards. He averaged 5.5 yards per carry and did have 12 rushing touchdowns in the 2015 season. I mentioned Gallman. Gallman led the team in rushing with 1,527 yards. He averaged 5.3 yards per carry. He did have 13 rushing touchdowns. This was an offense in 2015 for Clemson. When you look at the statistics, they're mind-boggling because when I run these off, fans are going to be like, they're unreal when you think about it. Ready? 11 straight games with over 500 yards of total offense. And think about that for a second. 500 yards of total offense in 11 consecutive games. It started in the victory, the home victory against the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets and carried straight through the national championship game against Alabama. More importantly, they can run the football at will against any team in the the country. This was an offense that in 10 of the 15 games, they rushed for over 200 yards per game. So that's a, that's a key statistic when you think about it in terms of rushing offense. This was an offense that rushed for, excuse me, 11 games over 200 yards or more, 11 of the 15. In 13 of the 15 games, Deshaun Watson and the offense completed over 60% of their passes. The only two games that Clemson did not complete more than 60, 60% or more of their passes were in the two victories to Notre Dame at home, where they completed only 47% in the rain, and the playoff victory to Oklahoma, in which they completed 53% of their passes. That's an, another amazing statistic. They're clean with the football. They do not make a lot of mistakes from an offense, a high-octane offense. And they're going to be getting back their junior quarterback who's only going to get more and more acclimated into the system. He's going to get more and more confident. And that's a great sign if you're a Clemson Tiger fan. Another great sign is Mike Williams is back, and he's back in spring camp. He's practicing. He's a dynamic wide receiver that got hurt last year in the victory at home. He fractured his neck against Appalachian State. Well, he comes back to the offense this year. That's going to put a lot of pressure on opposing secondaries, and this is going to be a very dangerous offense in the 2015 season, I can tell you that. When you look at Clemson defensively, that's where they're going to take some hits. Now, keep in mind, in 2014, Clemson was the number one ranked statistical defense in college football, only giving up around 261 total yards per game. 
They lost eight starters entering last year, and what did Brett Venables and that defensive staff do? A fantastic job. They only allowed 21 points per game. They were very solid in run support, only giving up around 125 yards per game, and very solid in the secondary, led by Mackenzie Alexander, who now moves on to the NFL. This defensive secondary only allowed 186 passing yards per game to opposing quarterbacks. That's a a dynamic statistic overall. And when you look at Clemson from a defensive perspective, you want to delve deeper. This was a defense that could stop the run and stuff the run, and that's important. When you you think of top-flight defenses, you want to be able to shut down the run, which puts opposing offenses in third down and long situations, and then you could dial up the blitzes. You could dial up different types of coverages to put the pressure on opposing offensive lines and, more importantly, opposing offensive coordinators. This was a defense in 2015 that held opponents to 27% on third downs. That's a huge, huge statistic. Huge statistic. Now, they lose Mackenzie Alexander, and they're going to lose their two big playmakers in terms of sack totals last year in Shaq Lawson and Kevin Dodd. And those are two big losses that you have to keep an eye out on when you look at fall camp open up and you look at the position battles. I know I, I spoke to head coach Dabo Sweeney at the Maxwell Awards. He won the coach of the year. He's confident that this team and this defense can reload. They had 48 total sacks in 2015, but 24 and a half of them just went out the door with Kevin Dodd, who had 12, and Shaq Lawson, who had 12 and a half last year, led the team. So that's a big loss in both of those guys moving on to the NFL. But, again, I'm not going to bet against Brett Venables and that defensive staff, especially what they did last year. That was a fantastic job. The defense got better and better as the season progressed. And that's something that you want to keep an eye out on as week number one inches closer. Now, you look at this matchup against the Auburn Tigers overall. This is going to be an interesting, an interesting battle because Clemson is going to be the front runner as the college season opens up and as we inch closer and these preseason polls open up. Clemson's going to have the bullseye on their back because of Deshaun Watson and that offense. Now, this is a, a team in Auburn that struggled lately. They were 7-6 and six last year. They did get their, their bowl victory over Memphis to end their season on a positive note, but a very disappointing 7-6 and six campaign by Gus Malzahn and the Auburn Tigers. And much can be said about the disappointment of Jeremy Johnson. This was a guy that was supposed to be like Cam Newton. He had the size. He had the stature. But I don't think a lot of fans or analysts realized what they had in the previous two years at quarterback, they might not have had the most physical, gifted quarterback in Nick Marshall, but the guy was a winner, and he created plays with his legs. And you look at their offensive production in 2014. In 2014, Nick Marshall and Cameron Artis Payne accounted for 75% of the rushing touchdowns for the Auburn Tigers. And you look at overall last year, Auburn averaged 27 points per game. Offensively, they rushed for 196 yards on the ground, and they passed for around 183 yards per game. But when you look at the offense from a rushing perspective from 2013 
under Gus Malzahn through last season, it's gotten considerably worse over the last few seasons. This was an offense that really was a run-heavy offense and liked to run sideline to sideline with fly sweeps. In 2010, when, when Gus Malzahn was the offensive coordinator, they utilized Ontario McCallum on fly sweeps to stretch out opposing defenses. They couldn't do the same this year with Ricardo Lewis, not the same type of personnel. And you look at the rushing that Auburn has had, this, the rushing yards over the last three years. 2013, 328 yards per game against opposing defenses. In 2014, they dipped down to 255 yards per game. Last year, they were at 196. So it's been a considerable decline now over the last three years. And you look at Auburn. They had six losses last year. Those six losses came to opponents with a combined record of 59 and 19 overall. And you want to look at the rushing success in those six losses? As an offense, they averaged 158 rushing yards per game, 38 rushing yards less than their season average. So that's where I see the biggest difference in Auburn's offense. You could talk about the disappointment in Jeremy Johnson. You could talk about Sean White and his inconsistency. Both quarterbacks combined for 11 touchdowns and 11 interceptions in 2015. But it's been the inconsistency of the rushing attack that that is really a cause of concern moving on to the two, 2016 season. And that's what you have to keep an eye out on if you're an Auburn Tiger fan. You look at the defense overall. They allowed 26 points per game in 2015. They allowed 182 rushing yards per game, and they allowed 222 passing yards to opposing quarterbacks. The 182 rushing yards per game was their worst defensive effort in run support since prior to 2008. So so think about that for a second. That, that's going to be a cause of concern. And that's what I thought when Will Muschamp came last year. Everybody thought it was just going to be a quick fix. He'll turn it around, good old Will, because he's a defensive guru. But when you don't have the personnel and you're switching defenses, and I don't care if it's the same type of scheme. I said this before. When you have a different coordinator, even though he's running the same type of system, and I'm not saying that it was a different system under Ellis Johnson, Ellis Johnson ran more of a five-two-five, uh, five. Excuse me, five-two-four type of defense, which is good against spread offenses. What Will Muschamp did, he wanted to create edge pressure, and that's another area where Auburn struggled last year. Nineteen total sacks, nineteen. This was a defense that ranked in the sack department 104th overall out of 127 teams. So that that was another cause of concern. But when you have a new coordinator come in, and and what I was getting back to uh, under Ellis Johnson and Will Muschamp, 
even if you're running the same type of scheme, 4-3-3-4, doesn't matter. You're still seeing the game through a different set of eyes. And I've said this before a thousand times. When offensive coordinators move on, and we'll get into Georgia, same personnel for the most part, but a much different defense, uh, offense under Brian Schottenheimer than it was Mike Bobo because you're seeing the game through a different set of eyes. Uh, one coach might be aggressive on first or second down, either offensively or defensively. He might like to, to, to really look to stuff the run on first and second down. Or he might like to utilize blitz packages to create pressure to force third down in long situations. Other coaches might want to sit back and feel it out on first down. So you're seeing the game through a different set of eyes. You're getting a different type of rhythm from the offensive-defensive coordinator. So, you know, keep that in mind. You know, and you can look at LSU's defense overall in 2015. Statistically, not the same defense. Kevin Steele was there. Ed Ogeron was there. But it was a different mindset under John Chavis the previous year. So, so keep that in mind when you break these games down and, and you know, you, you look at the position battles and, and you have to get another feel because now it's another defensive coordinator for the Auburn Tigers. They're third in three straight years. So that's going to be an interesting matchup as they go up against one of the best offenses in college football week number one. And that's going to be an interesting battle that I want to see play out. I mean, right now, Clemson is the clear favorite in this game. And we'll see how the offseason progresses, and we'll see once we get into August how this team looks in the Auburn Tigers. But those are the areas of concern for Auburn. And and you can go a step further. They gave up 182 rushing yards per game. In their six losses, they allowed 211 rushing yards per game. So that was the same MO that they had in the 2014 season where they lost five ball games, but they gave up 95 yards more than their season average in 2014 in those five losses. They were in the area of like 263 rushing yards per game in their five losses in 2014. They got a little better in 2015. They still allowed 211 rushing yards per game in their six losses this year. I mean, you gotta, they're going to be going up against a high-octane offense that can run the football, that can run the football with Wayne Gallman and can run the football with Deshaun Watson. So if I'm a Clemson, a Clemson Tiger fan, I'm going to want to run the football early in this matchup against Auburn to see if they could stop the running game. That's been their problems the last couple of years from a defensive perspective. And that's something that we're going to have to keep an eye out on as we inch closer to this matchup. Let's look at another great matchup taking off week number one, Florida State and Ole Miss. Now, Florida State's going to be right there with Clemson. Florida State's going to have one of the most dynamic offenses in college football. Now, Sean McGuire is the guy now. He completed 59% of his passes last year, 11 touchdowns, six interceptions. He split time with Everett Goldson. He took over midway during the season when Goldson struggled. And, and if you watch Everett Goldson in that offense, Everett Goldson did not look comfortable. He held the football way too long with his progressions. 
and opposing defenses. You want to see a game where Everett Golson was under duress? Look at the first half at home in the victory against Louisville. Louisville's defense was all over Everett Golson in terms of creating pressure. Football way too long. They, they, it was a nip-and-tuck game. It was a 7-6 ball game at the half. Florida State opened it up, but that's an area that you, gotta, that, that you really have to keep an eye out on. When you break down Florida State, they lost three games last year. They lost to Georgia Tech. They lost to Clemson, and they lost to Houston. When you look at overall, overall wins, they were like 31 and, and 31 and 11 overall in, in those three losses. Clemson and Houston both had one loss apiece. But offensively from Florida State, dynamic offense. They averaged 31 points per game. They averaged 169 rushing yards per game and 255 passing yards per game. And they have one of the most dynamic running backs in college football in Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook led the team with 1,693 yards. He averaged 7.3 yards per carry, 19 rushing touchdowns. He's a Heisman front runner as well. And you look at the, the wide receiver core for the Seminoles is going to be the strength. And more importantly, this is going to be the matchup that you want to look at week number one against Ole Miss, and I'll get into that in a second. But you look at who Florida State returns offensively. Jesus Wilson, Travis Rudolph, Kermit Whitfield. This was a receiving core in 2015 that combined for 174 total receptions 2,336 receiving yards and 16 touchdowns last year. This is going to be a dynamic offense. A cause of concern is the offensive line. You look at the offensive line, this is an offensive line now that allowed 26 sacks and doesn't have a mobile quarterback. Sean McGuire is a pocket passer. Know where he's going to be at all times. So if the offensive line doesn't hold up early, that could be a matchup that, that will make or break Florida's, uh, Florida State season offensively was how strong will the offensive line come through? And they're going to be tested week number one by a blue-collar defense in Ole Miss. And when you look at the losses last year by Florida State, there are three losses. It's evident that the passing attack did not come through in those ballgames because as a whole – they, they only passed for two passing touchdowns and had six interceptions as a team. So in this week one matchup, if the passing game does not click, they're going to be one-dimensional, much like they were against the Houston Cougars. And, and you look at that season-ending loss to Houston, I think Jimbo Fisher did a terrible, terrible job in terms of coaching that ballgame. Because sometimes you have to break tendency in big ball games. You need to break tendencies in order to be successful. Everybody knew, Houston knew that Florida State wanted to run the football with Dalvin Cook. And they were blitzing early, and they, shut, they, they laid up, and they, they sold out in terms of stopping Dalvin Cook. And they blitzed Sean McGuire. After he hurt his ankle, he, you knew where he was going to be. One mistake that Jimbo Fisher and the offensive staff made in that ballgame was 
Sometimes you have to utilize your weapon in Dalvin Cook in the short to intermediate passing game. I didn't see one screen pass to neutralize the pass rush of the Houston Cougars on first and second down to loosen them up. All Jimbo Fisher did was want to throw deep to those wide receivers. Second and long, third and long. I did not see one screen pass until about three minutes left in the in the game when they when they trailed by double digits. And that's the one thing that Jimbo Fisher failed in in terms of leading that team. Him calling the plays, he should have recognized what they were doing early on and made adjustments and made halftime adjustments, and he didn't do that. That was a poor coaching job by Jimbo Fisher in the loss to the Houston Cougars. But when you look at Florida State defensively, defensively they were a solid team, statistically only allowed 17 points per game. They were very good in run support for most of the year, only allowing 149 rushing yards per game. And they only allowed, as a defensive unit, in the area of about 186 passing yards per game in the secondary, led by Jalen Ramsey. But in those three losses to Georgia Tech, Clemson, and Houston, they could not shut down the run. They allowed 221 rushing yards per game in those three losses. Another area of concern, turnover margin. As a whole, this defense, this team, was even in turnover margin for the 2015 season. The second consecutive year that they failed to create turnovers and be opportunistic as a team. In 2014, they ended the year at a minus six in turnover margin. Last year, they were even. You cannot win big ball games. You cannot win playoff games unless you more times than not win the turnover battle and can shut down the run. And the the glaring weaknesses of Florida State were in those two categories last year. So that's going to be an interesting battle. If you're Florida State offensively, you're going to want to challenge the secondary of Ole Miss. You look at Ole Miss last year, they were 10-3 and overall, ended with a dominating bowl victory over the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Chad Kelly, Laquan Treadwell broke out offensively, but you look at the, this team overall in Ole Miss, their 10 victories came by an average of 27 points per game. 27 points per game in 2015, margin of victory. Their three losses to Florida, Memphis, and Arkansas came by an average of 14 points per game of defeat. And when you look at the defense of statistics in those three losses, it's so glaring where the breakdown was. Defensively, they broke down in the secondary. They broke down in the secondary in those three losses. And I'll get into that in a couple of seconds about where those deficiencies were. But when you look at the offense, dynamic offense, average 40 points per game, Balanced as well. They rushed for 183 rushing yards per game, and they were balanced passing for 334 yards through the air, and they get a senior quarterback coming back in Chad Kelly, a confident quarterback that completed 63% of his passes, 4,042 passing yards, 
31 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. And he was also a dual threat. He did have 10 rushing touchdowns in 2015. But this offense does take some hits. They lose Jalen Walton that led the team with 730 rushing yards and five rushing touchdowns, and they lose their big play wide receiver in Laquan Treadwell. 82 receptions, 1,153 yards, 11 receiving touchdowns. The good news is that Chad Kelly did spread the ball around in 2015 to a number of different receivers that gives some depth to that wide receiver core. So offensively, they can make it up. Defensively is where they're going to take some hits. And that's where you're going to have some concern if you're if you're an Ole Miss fan. This is a defense in 2015 that gave up 22 points per game. They allowed 127 rushing yards per game. And they allowed 258 passing yards. There's the good and the bad. The good is the 127 yards rushing per game that they allowed was their best total since 2008 when the defense only allowed 86 rushing yards per game. But in the secondary, that was their worst total since prior to the 2008 season. And when you look at those three losses overall, they were torched in the secondary. The defense in those three losses allowed 365 passing yards per game. They allowed 13 passing touchdowns and only forced one interception in those three games. That cannot happen week number one against Florida State. I'll tell you that. That cannot happen because that the, you're going to be facing a confident quarterback in Sean McGuire, one of the best running backs in the country in Dalvin Cook, and an experienced wide receiver core. You better shape up week number one. And you better understand coverages and formations so that you can match up. Because you know Florida State's going to utilize different formations to confuse the secondary. And this is going to be a defense without Robert Kandichi, without Denzel Kandichi. They take some hits on the defensive side of the ball in the interior. How is that going to affect if this is, wasn't a dominating team in terms of pass rush either, so keep that in mind. So that's going to be an area that you're going to want. You want to, when you break this game down a little bit more in, de- in detail come August and we break down position battles and we look at this team overall, that's going to be a matchup that I'm going to look at in more detail as we get inch closer. I want to see the depth and the experience at every position in the secondary. They're going to need leadership back there, and they're going to need somebody that can recognize because they're going to be they're going to be really put to the test by an experienced offense that is really going to put pressure on the perimeter of the secondary on the hashes. They're going to challenge them vertically and try to throw over the top. And you look at the success that Arkansas had in their overtime victory. Brandon Allen had a great game. You look at the success that Florida had in the passing game, that's that's going to be a cause of concern, and, and that's what we have to keep an eye out on week number one. Another great battle, and, and this is an intriguing one as well, another intriguing battle, 
North Carolina and Georgia. North Carolina and Georgia. Two dynamic teams. North Carolina 11-3 and overall last year. Went to the ACC title game. Played Clemson tooth and nail. Lost that ball game. A lot of controversy. Should they have gotten the onside kick? Who knows what would have happened. But this is another uh, a team that when you look at their glaring strengths and weaknesses, it's unreal. You look at North Carolina, they lost three games last year. South Carolina, Clemson, and Baylor in the bowl game. All three games came on a neutral field site. Two came in Charlotte with South Carolina and Clemson, and the bowl lost to Baylor. Unbelievable when you think about it. Unreal when you think about it. They're going to have to learn how to win on the road to make the next move under Larry Fedora. They're going to take some hits as well at the quarterback position there. Dynamic signal caller Marquise Williams moves on to the NFL. This is a quarterback that was a dual threat. He accounted for 37 total touchdowns in 2015. 24 through the air and 13 on the ground. The good news is that you have a quarterback in Mitch Trubisky that played last year. He completed 85% of his passes, 555 yards, six touchdowns, and no interceptions. He's a junior. He has experience, so that's good. Trubisky, though, is not as a dual threat of a quarterback as Marquise Williams was. Marquise Williams had had the escapability outside the pocket. So we'll see how that plays out under Larry Fedora. August opens up a little bit later in the year, but offensively, dynamic offense. They return Elijah Hood. Elijah Hood, one of the most underrated running backs in college football. This was a guy that rushed for 1,400 63 yards. He averaged 6.3 yards per carry, 17 total touchdowns. And he can catch the ball out of the backfield as well. And they have two dynamic wide receivers in Mac Hollins and Ryan Switzer that come back that are going to put pressure on opposing secondaries. Hollins and Switzer combined for 85 total receptions, 1,442 yards and 10 total touchdowns in 2015. Switzer's also a dynamic punt returner. He does it in the special teams. So this is a dynamic offense that averaged over 40 points per game in 2015 and were balanced. Balanced offense under Larry Fedora in the area of around 244 rushing yards per game. And they pass for around 255 yards per game. So uh, a very dynamic offense that has evolved under Larry Fedora. And I'm, I'm very happy that the North Carolina administration allowed Larry Fedora to get his personnel in there. He struggled. But he's got things under control now. And, and they're a team to keep an eye out on in the 2016 season. The defensive deficiencies, though, are recognizable. This is a bend-but-don't-break type of defense. 
that had Gene Chizik last year. They allowed around 22 points per game. And they were solid in terms of the secondary, only giving up 188 passing yards per game. But the deficiencies in run support, they could not shut down the run effectively. They allowed 247 rushing yards per game. In 2014, it was the same problem. There were over 240 rushing yards per game in 2014. In their three losses, it was mind-boggling. We'll get into that in a couple seconds. But North Carolina, on the road or on a neutral field site, allowed 297 rushing yards per game to their opponents. In their three losses to South Carolina, Clemson, and Baylor, they allowed 406 rushing yards per game. 406. Week one in the 16-13 to 13 loss to South Carolina, they allowed 257. They allowed 319 to Clemson in the ACC title game and 645 to Baylor in the bowl loss. 645 rushing yards. You're not going to be able to win big games if you get torched on the ground between the tackles the way the North Carolina Tar Heels did last year in big games. You're not going to make the next step. You'll be a solid team. You might win nine, ten games, but when push comes to shove in big ball games, games that matter, title games, playoff games, you need to be able to stuff the run effectively. And North Carolina did not do that last year. And they were exploited by big, heavy offensive lines. And now they're going to be possibly exploited by a run-heavy offense or an offense that likes to run the football in the Georgia Bulldogs. Now, this is an offensive line in Georgia that takes some hits, and we'll get into that. But from an offensive skill position, Georgia's going to want to run the football, and they have a new head coach, a blue-collar guy, a former player that played for the Bulldogs in Athens in the mid-'90s, and Kirby Smart, former defensive coordinator that led the Alabama Crimson Tide, the top-ranked rush defense in college football last year. Kirby Smart is going to want to run the football between the tackles, much like Nick Saban does at Alabama. He wants to assert their will on the offensive line and break your will by running the football. Good teams want to do that. That's the mark of a good team. Can we break your will between the tackles with our, with our mentality? And that's what George is going to want to do, or what I suspect out of the Bulldogs as they open up week number one against the Tar Heels. Now, Georgia has their problems. Don't get me wrong. Georgia last year averaged 26 points per game. Their worst since 2008. This was an offense in Georgia that rushed for 196 rushing yards per game and passed for around 185 yards per game. But they have some problems offensively that are glaring. And I'll talk to Bulldog fans out in Athens right now. How bad do you miss offensive coordinator Mike Bobo after last year's performance under Brian Schottenheimer? Because all Mike Bobo did from an offensive perspective was put up points. And as an offensive coordinator, that's what you want out of your team. Mike Bobo understood personnel. Mike Bobo understands 
formations, being a former quarterback, and understood what he had in the Bulldogs in 2014. Well, you look at offensively for Georgia. This was a team that was 10-3 and overall in 2014. 10-3 and overall. Their 10 wins came to opponents with a combined record of 51 and 72 overall, or 414 winning percentage. There are three losses to Alabama, Tennessee, and Florida. Those teams had a combined record of 33 and 9 overall. And when you look at overall, Georgia, they struggled in the passing game. Now, Georgia had problems on third down. And, and I, I put that solely on Brian Schottenheimer, not understanding the personnel and horrible play calling throughout the year, especially in big ball games. But Georgia, in 2015, converted 31% on third down. 31%. In 2015, in 2014, they converted 49% under Mike Bobo. In 2013, they, con- they converted 41% under Mike Bobo. In 2012, they converted 47% of their third down conversions under Mike Bobo. So you can't tell me that this team and this offense didn't miss their former offensive coordinator. And when you look at the three losses by the Bulldogs in 2015, offensively they completed 41 of 98 passes, which was 41% with two touchdowns, two passing touchdowns, and seven interceptions. You're not going to win ballgames when you cannot throw the football when you need to. Not going to happen. And Grayson Lambert, Evolve in the system. He looked like a deer in the headlights in big ball games. This was supposed to be a confident, cool quarterback that came from Virginia under Mike London and split time with Matt Johns and Grayson Lambert did not take the next step. Hudson Mason waited his turn. He was a fifth-year senior. But Hudson Mason progressed from the start of the year to the end of the year. In my opinion, Grayson Lambert did not do that. Grayson Lambert completed 63% of his passes. He was clean with the football. He had 12 touchdowns, only two interceptions for around 1,920 yards. But he could not take the next step in terms of progressions and in terms of leading his offense, did not take the team on his shoulders and said, follow me. And that's the one thing that the Bulldogs missed last year. They were a relatively new team. They lost their emotional leader in running back Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley was the, was the nuts and bolts of that offense. As a, a Bulldog fan, he made the offense and defense better. He was a guy that made everyone around him better because of his work ethic, because of his drive and desire to succeed. That's why Todd Gurley never got tackled with one one tackler in college football because he wanted to be the best. 
And and that's what Georgia lacked from an an attitude last year under Mark Rick. And I thought, and to be honest, I I think it was time for Mark Rick to move on. I think that it was better for both sides. But I can tell you this: this Georgia team will be different attitude wise in 2016 under their former under a former player and one of the best coach, defensive coaches in college football in Kirby Smart. He understands the landscape of the SEC. He's lived it. He's, he's been at it now for a long time. Under possibly the best coach, modern, the best coach in modern-day football in, in Nick Saban. He understands the work ethic. He understands of relating that from the coaching staff down to the players. And you'll see an attitude adjustment out of Georgia this coming season, and it should start week number one. Now, early edge in this matchup, I slightly give it to Georgia, slightly. But I think this matchup could be dangerous if you're a Bulldog fan. We got to see how we get as we inch closer. I mean, I'm this this is going to be a tough ball game for the Bulldogs because North Carolina has speed on the perimeter, and that's something that you're going to have to keep an eye out on as we break this game down early, a little bit more in the season. But let's look at Georgia overall. Offensively, Sony Michelle led the team with 1,162 yards. He averaged 5.3 yards per carry, eight rushing touchdowns. Nick Chubb is practicing in spring ball. He's ahead of schedule. He added 742 rushing yards last year before hurting his knee against Tennessee. He averaged 8.3 yards per carry and did have seven rushing touchdowns. But we can't count on Nick Chubb if you're a Bulldog fan. We have to see how he progresses. Even though he's ahead of schedule, you don't want to rush him back too early. Keith Marshall had many setbacks before he was cleared to play for the Bulldogs. So that's something that we got to keep an eye out on as we break this game down. And how will that affect Georgia's offense week number one? Now, I like when Georgia utilizes Sony Michelle in the slot. And that's something that Mike Bobo did in 2014 because of his pass-catching ability. You could look at that week. I think it was week three. They played South Carolina when they lost that ball game, 38-35. But when Sony Michelle lined up in the slot and he caught a touchdown pass, first drive of the game. He's like a Reggie Bush type of player dynamic because you can match him up on the slot on nickelbacks and and linebackers and create mismatches in the passing game. But if Nick Chubb isn't healthy, you really can't do that as much because Sony Michelle is really your go-to back. So you like to do that when Nick Chubb is in there, have Nick Chubb in the back in the backfield and utilize Sony Michelle in the slot. That's the way I would do it if I was offensive coordinator. That's something that you got to keep an eye out on. And we have to that's why you say how critical is Nick Chubb's health at for this offense. But defensively, Georgia only allowed 16 points per game. Statistically, they had one of the best statistical defenses in the SEC from a statistical standpoint. They only allowed 149 rushing yards per game and only allowed 156 passing yards per game right around 305 total yards per game by this defense. But in those three losses, 
They allowed 218 rushing yards to Bama, Tennessee, and Florida. Another cause of concern for Kirby Smart in this defense, sack totals. 21 total sacks in 2015, which ranked 97th overall out of 127 teams. That's something that you want to keep an eye on, and I know Kirby Smart is going to want to change, and that's something that Jeremy Pruitt struggled with. He, he did a complete 360 with this defense in 2014. When he came on board, he turned it around statistically. The one thing that, that Jeremy Pruitt did in 2014 with that defense, he, he made them become opportunistic. Georgia in 2014 had one of the best turnover ratios in the country. I think they ended the season with a plus 16 mark. Last year, overall plus four. And they were better on the road than they were at home. They were horrible as a team in turnover margin at home. They were minus two as a team in turnover margin at home. On the road, they were plus six. So that's something that you're going to want to change, and Kirby Smart's going to want to change with that defense this coming season. Those are three big ball games that we took a look at right now. And, and, and again, I believe in breaking down the strengths and weaknesses from the previous year to see, in, especially in week number one, if those trends continue. People can talk about recruiting, and yeah, here's the thing with recruiting, and not to take away from it, but we don't know what these kids are going to do on the college level. There's certain players like Leonard Fournette, Nick Chubb, five-star players, but you can't put a lot of weight in what they do in high school. I don't care how good the athlete or how dynamic. There's still a learning curve. Leonard Fournette came in and struggled early on. In 2014, he struggled early on. And then he got more consistent as the year went on. So you can't put a lot of weight, week number one, on recruit on recruits. It's a new system. It's a new landscape. They're on campus for the first time. There's going to be butterflies. They're going to be thrown. If they're thrown into the mix at the quarterback position, how does that affect their mindset? So that's something that you got to keep an eye out on. But I like to break down the strengths and weaknesses of each team the previous year and see how that if that's going to continue week number one or is it a possibility based off the personnel that they have, whether it be defensive secondary has a lot of inexperience. And that's something that you're going to have to keep an eye out on. When I break down positions and once we really get into July and August and I see positions, the first thing when I look at is experience in the secondary. If you have a lot of sophomores and a lot of redshirt freshmen in the secondary, that's an alarming stat for me overall. And, and if I'm an opposing offense, I want to attack that early on, especially week number one, because that's where they're thrown into the mix and they're forced to read coverages and they can't do it where there's a learning curve. And that's where an, ex an experienced offense like Clemson or Florida State can take advantage of an inexperienced defense. So that's what you've got to keep an eye out on 
as we break these games down and as we see position battles take take place early on. And you, you might get that one or two players that, that break through, but more times than not, for the most part, inexperience does shine through week number one. And there's some other great games that we're going to get into in, in next week's show. We're just getting started. I'm chomping at the bit already, but you look at the week one matchup, USC and Alabama. That's a great one that we'll, I'll touch on uh, on show number two of this preseason breakdown of the early college football look 2016. But Alabama hasn't lost an opening, opening season game since 2001. They've won 15 straight opening season week one games by an average margin of victory of 22.1 points per game. Their last loss came in 2001 to UCLA at the Rose Bowl when the Bruins had quarterback Corey Pouse and Skip Hicks at the running back position. Andrew Zhao was the quarterback for Alabama back then. Freddie Million, Millings, number 15. Millings, I, I, I remember that game. Millings had a long touchdown. I think he had a punt return. If I'm not mistaken, Freddie Millens had a long punt return in that ball game. But they lost. That's the last time Alabama lost a week one matchup. They're going to be going up against a team in USC. Now, USC is a dangerous team. They had some offensive line injuries last year that I think they'll be very solid on the offensive line entering the 2016 season. They lose Cody Kessler, but they have some playmakers at the wideout position that, that will attack the Alabama secondary. Now, Eddie Jackson did come back for his senior season, which is a big boost. They got Minka Fitzpatrick back. Cyrus Jones left. That's a big loss, but you know Alabama loves to reload. Derrick Henry's gone. It's going to fall on new running back Bo Scarborough. Now, when I looked at Alabama, this is the third consecutive year that they're going to start the season with a new, new quarterback at the helm. So that's something that you've you got to keep an eye out on. Third straight year. So that's important. But the one thing when you look at Alabama from 2014 to last year in terms of the rushing attack, in 2014, T.J. Eldon and Derrick Henry both had 11 rushing touchdowns. They split time. It was a thunder and lightning type of running back duo for the Crimson Tide. Last year, it was all Derrick Henry. Kenyon Drake mixed in, but it was basically all Derrick Henry. So the offense doesn't have another guy experience-wise from last year that played at the running back position. Now, that's the only cause of concern that I have in terms of Alabama offensively, in terms of the drop-off, the significant drop-off. They get a huge boost, though, Alabama, with former Bowling Green wide receiver Dieter that comes over. Garrett Dieter. This was a kid that had 10 receiving touchdowns over 1,000 yards in Dino Baber's offense. And the way Mulaney came over for Oregon State, Dieter's going to a lot of pressure on opposing secondaries in the SEC. He's an experienced route runner, a clean route runner. 
He's going to be wearing the number two. He's wearing Derrick Henry's number this year. He's an experienced route runner. So that's important if you're an Alabama fan. You, you got Ridley. You got Ardarius Stewart coming back. And now throw Dieter into the mix. This could be a dynamic offense once again for the Alabama Crimson Tide in 2016. I'm not going to delve into statistically like I did the other games, but I'll just touch on a couple of things with USC. This was a team in USC that was very opportunistic in 2015. Had one of the best turnover margins in the country at plus 11. Can Clay Helton elevate this team to the next level? That's the one thing you want to see. And I think Clay Helton is the right guy to take USC to the next level. Because I really think that USC doesn't need a high-profile coach. I don't think they need a coach who's bigger than the program at this point. They've had that. And I think they need a blue-collar type of guy to get back that attitude that was lacking in the USC Trojans. And it was evident last year. It was evident early on with Steve Sarkeesian, and he had his issues. And I'm not even going to touch on that. We wish him the best. But this was a team that didn't step up. When someone punched the Trojans in the mouth, they didn't respond. Something that needs to change. And it better change early on as they're going to be tested by Alabama. Make no mistake about it. Defending national champions, Alabama fears nobody. So if USC wants to get back on track, they have to they have to step up week number one against a dominant, dominant defense in Alabama. A defense that brings a mentality along with a physicality. And that's what, you go, that's what you want to see week number one if you're a USC fan. Can guys like Juju Smith exploit that secondary or at least make plays against that, that secondary? Can they run the football between the tackles consistently? That's what you want to see if you're a USC fan. This is a defense in Alabama that only allowed 75 rushing yards per game in the area of 75. It's a mentality. Does it carry through week number one? You're going to get a good read of both of those teams in a, in a marquee battle taking place front and center stage. College football doesn't get better than this. We are just touching the surface. This is the first show back from a long hiatus Check out my website, gofortheTwo.com. I have great interviews on there. I'm going to be uh, at a great event. It's coming Tuesday. This is what it's all about. Stay with me all season long at gofortheTwo.com. We're just getting started. Enjoy the week and stay with me.